I hope all of us meant 100% what we just sang and what we prayed, because I believe there's a, a time we're stepping into right now where, as you've heard many times from this pulpit, many times through our vision over the years, this is an all-hands-on-deck church, and it's time to be all-hands-on-deck. This is the time to come out from under something that the enemies put on the whole body of Christ, not just us. Every pastor I've talked to has shared the same things that's going on in the body of Christ, and it's time for us to get out from under that thing and get back into the game. I'll see what we can do to improve that in the next little while. I want to read you something about the kind of church that God's building. This is 1 Corinthians 3. We're God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, this is Paul speaking now, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another's building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For nobody can lay any other foundation than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We're in a day right now where God's tearing down every wall, everything we built up that was not built on top of Jesus Christ. So if you're experiencing loss right now, I urge you to get before God and get on your face and ask, did I done build something that you never called me to build off of the foundation in Christ in my life? Because how many of you know there's a lot of other things we can build on in life? There's a lot of other philosophies, there's a lot of other visions for life, a lot of other purposes that we could build something for. But there's a house that God's building and Jesus has been working on it hands-on for 2,000 years and we've entered into his work right now. We've entered into doing something right now that is of historic importance, and it is vital, absolutely vital, that we have all hands on deck offering the best gifts that they have to offer to the work project. Because here's the thing that can happen. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, so those are things that endure, those are things that are purified by fire or formed by fire or pressure, those are things that are going to last the fire of his judgment, of his testing of something. So there are times in life that the fire comes, sometimes physically, but we're speaking spiritually, and all of a sudden we find that all these things that we did and all these things we built are burnt, and we're looking right at it, and going, what was that all for? You can thank God, we can thank God that he burnt things that have no eternal value so that we could get, on, get back on track building the things that endure through the grave. We are called to build things that are eternal and the only way to do that is to build with eternal building materials, spiritual materials. And there's so much that we can make of our lives. We Americans in particular, we have so much at our disposal. We are the wealthiest people who have ever lived in all of human history. If you have a car and a television set and more than one pair of shoes, you're in the 1% of the world right now. Did you know that? You know that whole thing that went down about the 1%, the 10%, whatnot? If you have those three things, you're in the 1%. We are the wealthiest people who have ever lived. And the caution that we gotta really watch for is that we don't build the way the things are built these days. I'm already feeling old saying this right now, but I bought a set of appliances when we got our place here in Millersburg. A year and a half later, we'd already had 22 service calls. And they were all bought from Sears. I saw, maybe I shouldn't say that over the airwaves. I used to, they're not the same as they used to be. I actually called them up and I got, you know, I always want to speak to a decision maker. Have you all learned that? Here's just a free word, no extra charge. 
If you're trying to get something done, ask the person you're talking to, do you have the authority to make a decision about this? And if they fumble or they read from a script or something like that, say, can I speak to your manager? And then when you get to that manager, you might have to say, can I speak to your manager, the manager's manager? And then, and then you get all the way up. So I got to a guy who was like regional managerial level. And I said to him, I've bought Sears all my life. My daddy bought Sears all his life. Since we Jews came here from Poland, we've only ever bought Sears. And the man literally said to me, we're not that company anymore. I said, well, that's from an official regional manager of Sears. But I want to tell you, it's not just manufacturing things. We don't make it like they used to, but it's how we build the church sometimes. That we build things. He goes on and he says, have you built with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw, what do they have in common? They're easy to build with, you could put something up quick, it could be big, it could be magnificent, it could look really nice. We had some friends that bought a brand new house, only been one owner before them, and six years later, it was already leaking in through the walls when they got into the place. That is poor construction, but it went up quick in a development, and that's how things tend to be built today. We have got to get away from building the church that way. Saints of God, you right now, if you've been through the fire, you've been through hell, there's been pressure on you, there's been things in your life that got burnt, thank God those things got burnt, and thank God that he's made you into good building material for something that's gonna endure. That's, that's what he's about today. There are ways of building church where we could build a church on programs. And we could have a great program for every, every demographic and there are like, now there's twice as many demographics as when I was part of a church that had ministries for all the demographics. We, we can't even keep up with it. We could build a program for the kids and a program for the youth and a program for the young single people and the young married people and the older married people and older people who aren't married and the divorce and all these ministries can come up and we could build a great beautiful thing that's easy to build. It goes up quick and it meets the need. But I wanna tell you that Jesus is very stubborn about this because who's building the church? Who said I will build my church? Jesus. So none of us gets to add our blueprint and say, hey, I got a better idea. I have a more modernized version for you, Jesus. Those stones that you used to use back in the day, too tedious, it takes too long. It's just too big of a a thing and it's gonna be years before this thing's done. And we say, "I I know how to build it quick and we build these things up quickly. And then comes some kind of fire. Then comes some kind of thing, a, a trouble, a, a disease that, that has like 18 different names now and a new number for every three months and, or some kind of thing like that comes along and all of a sudden we find everything we built, it's just not working anymore because Jesus is really stubborn about building his church with living stones. So you're at Hillside, you didn't come here to get plugged into a wall. We don't have like ministries here where your role as members of Hillside is to get plugged into a ministry. Your role is to be a living stone being built up together as a dwelling place of God in the spirit. And if we're not all living stones, if we're just here saying, I I don't believe this is prominent in the house, but I feel the spirit on me today. And it dropped on me when I started playing the drums. So even though I noticed that all the other drummers are here today and I was still playing anyway, that's all right, because God really met me in that cage. Sometimes you need a quiet place. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's really quiet in there with those, you know, the sound things and your headphones in and stuff. You take the walls down and become a cage-free drummer, then everybody on the platform's like, ah, oh, it's too loud. Come back, Jesus, what was I saying? <laughs> that I feel the spirit on me today like the prophet Haggai. 
and you heard Todd really well preach about the days of Haggai, Zechariah, Ezra, Nehemiah, the reconstruction days, rebuilding days. And, and there's a heart. I do want to wrap up a little bit about David here with you and just a couple more messages. His life, we could go on for months, but I feel like God's saying, no, I got something else now for the house. More on that in a couple of weeks. But right now, David had this thing in his heart about building a house for the Lord. So if you got your Bible, turn to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, and I'll join you there in a moment. But this building project that we're a part of, it is absolutely essential that we don't build on other things. So we got programs we can build on. The other mistake we've made and how we build wrong and how we build temporary is when the body of Christ gets built on people, especially when it's like a pulpit person, you know, pastors or preachers or leaders and, and all the church is just based on whoever's speaking, whoever's ministering on the platform in some kind of way. And we build on that sometimes. And what happens is that the body of Christ then says, well, we receive ministry from those who speak and get a microphone when they speak because they overcame their fear of speaking in public and now they share from up front. And, and we feel like, all right, so that's it. So I come on church, I come to church on Sunday, I get fed. Uh, uh, there, there are three main reasons I've heard from people who leave a church. It is, um, I don't like the music. Uh, it's one of the ministries. They don't have this ministry for my family. And the third biggest one is I was not getting fed there. And I understand if the Bible's never getting opened up or if the preaching's gotten dry and the, you know, people aren't being prophetic in how they share, I understand that. But, but to many of them, I've said, look, how long you been in Christ? And some of them have been in Christ longer than I have. So isn't it time you learn how to feed yourself? Because it's a little weird to have your 30-year-old son sitting in a seat and you're spoon-feeding him some bowl of oatmeal in the morning. Just saying. So David, the man who had God's heart, the man after God's own heart, conquered the kingdom. Finally, he's sitting enthroned. First act as king was to put the ark of God in a tent not in the tabernacle of Moses where it would be behind a bunch of curtains. He said, no, I want this right next to where I live because I'm not gonna be king without the presence of God and I need access. And I want all the people to have access to the presence of God. He was an Old Testament king living a New Testament reality that many New Testament people don't even live. When we rebuild an old structure, you know, there are denominations in Christianity that have reinstituted the office of priest meaning there is somebody that I need to confess my sins to so they can forgive me on behalf of God. I need somebody to offer up prayers on my behalf. I need somebody to go and seek God and get a word out of the scriptures to tell me what God's saying to me. That is old covenant, it's been defunct for 2,000 years. We are all priests now. It is absolutely essential that every one of us is in this word, every one of us is in the presence of Jesus to get a word from heaven Yes, he does continue to speak. He didn't answer every single question that will ever be asked. Just by writing this Bible, with all respect to my friends who believe, he stopped speaking when the last book of the Bible was written. He's got a lot more to say. Not to contradict what he said already, but to clarify his purpose for this hour. You know, uh, we could build a church on the words being spoken through other prophets and apostles around the world. We have access to every podcast. We have access to every, every church now. You could listen to some, you know, church of 20 people in a poding town in the middle of Nebraska, and you could go on their podcast and listen to what that pastor's saying. And if you like that message, it's great. And so we could hear all of these things from all these voices, but God showed me something, and this is essential, and it's really important for us as a house. When God wanted to write to churches that were in the middle of persecution in Asia Minor, 
John wrote letters to the churches known in Revelation. There were seven of them. These were real churches with real people going through the same open persecution the whole body of Christ was experiencing. But if you've read those in Revelation two and three, every one of them has a different message. Same time, same season, same circumstance, different word for every church. We have got to know what the Lord is saying to us right now so you can build a church on ideas you got from books. I have a whole massive bookshelf in my office. I thank God for it. Whoever built that back in the day when we got this building, thank them for me. I love that bookshelf. But we will not build this church on ideas derived from books. As informative and the wisdom that's in them, there are things to learn from many places. We have got to know what God is saying right here, right now, and build the church accordingly. So you know what that means. That means that nobody sitting in this room, nobody watching online, either live or recorded, that gets to just be a spectator and gets to just listen. Nobody is here just to get fed, just to receive something imparted to you. If we're not built up together, every one of us, living stones, offering the best gifts that we have to offer to build the church, then there will be no church. I just want to let that kind of sink for a minute. Now look, I, I don't know, about I've read church history. I've lived some church history. Now I'm old enough to say I've lived some history. I started with Jesus in the late 80s. That's like oldie station music now. So I've lived enough and I've seen enough to see that when things don't get built on Christ and when we build on any other foundation but Jesus Christ, it just doesn't last. How many of you want to build something that's going to endure for generations? How many of you want the work of this ministry here at Hillside to go on long after every one of us is buried and gone? How many of you want to see generations of families healed and restored, generations of businesses prospering? You know, Milton Hershey, if you've never done a tour of the Hershey Museum, you got to do it sometime. I take all of my kids when they come of age. My, my Anya's next. And I do a tour of Hershey and we talk about life and vision and what it means to carry destiny. And you look at what Milton Hershey carried and he had this sense that he was building something for generations to come. So all that wealth he made making chocolate, that is one of the top three schools in America always because he left more than 51% of his fortune to the Milton Hershey Academy. So they have too much money. They don't even know what to do with it. They pay painters there, by the way, if you're looking for work. Friend of mine started working there, brand new painter, never done it before. 25 bucks an hour, full benefit package, and free tickets to Hershey Park. <laughs> All because one man said, I don't just want to make money selling chocolate, I want to leave a legacy. You look at Hershey Park, you look at that town, I mean, you stand up on that balcony of the, the Hershey Hotel, and you look out over that valley and you see all oh, there's the gardens over here and there's the park over here and all these beautiful old stone houses that were all built because one man had a vision that went beyond his grave. But then you look and you hear what happens at that school now and you hear what's going on in the town and it's just like every other town in America right now and you realize somebody has got to steward that vision. Somebody has got to be careful how they build on the foundation in Christ that was laid because you could take an awesome stone foundation and be under the illusion that because something's prospering, we must still be on track with something kingdom here. 
And it can get so far, you could be building over here and it stays because there was a foundation laid before you know it, some fire comes along and all of a sudden all those generations of work could be lost. Ronald Reagan said it about freedom. Freedom is always just one generation away from extinction. It can happen at a national level and yes, it can even happen to the church, capital C. I have been delighted to join together with you here for 16 years now to build something that lasts. There, when I, I walked away from here the first Sunday, I was just with Dave Hess yesterday to do a wedding, which was absolute phenomenal, story of redemption. I won't get into it now, but it was fun. We were doing it together and it, it was just, you know, we're tag team and it was like old times. It was just so much fun to be with them. But we got to talking at the reception and, and remembering when I came here for the first time and there was just a, there were about 30 of you here at that time and everybody was kind of hurting and it was a, a rough season for Hillside. And some of my friends actually told me, don't go there. You shouldn't go there. Pastor friends, they were saying, based on its history, not a good thing. And I said, well, I'm gonna go with what Jesus says, but thanks for discouraging me. <laughs> but what I saw, I'll never forget it. We had, that thing was right over here. At the, this platform wasn't here, so that thing was there and I was standing up. Everybody sat in the back. <laughs> so I don't even remember, I took the pulpit, I got off the platform, carried it down, and I, I made my way back, and I stood somewhere right about over here. I said, this is so weird. I want to at least see your faces up close. And I walked away from that, and I went back, and Dave has asked me, so what did you see? What, what do you see there? I see, and I said, I see gold that's been tested by fire. And I said, I see some amazing building material to do something that'll be generational, to do something of substance. It's not gonna be some nice church that just gets together and has a happy, clappy service and just ministers to each other forever. I see people that are gonna transform that valley, and before they know it, it's gonna look like, like the kingdom just broke loose. Forget about all hell broken loose. All heaven's gonna break loose in that place because of this company of people. Do, I, do we still have that company here? I think we are. I'm absolutely convinced. But here's what's been going on. We have had this thing that happened and it started uh, with COVID, all right? That was like we have a new BC right now when we measure things before COVID, right? And we, and we have these things that have gone down and I, I just, you know, I've been talking with others and many of you and the elders about how it just feels like since 2020, it's, it's just been different. Things have just been different. And, and I'm gonna tell you one thing that's different is that God's taken an absolute fire to everything and he's saying the only thing that's gonna last, the only thing I'm gonna permit to remain is what was built on a foundation of Christ. So, you know, our dear beloved friends, the Chandlers, are redoing their house right now because they had floods come through and destroyed their kitchen and they had an idea what they wanted to do. But now it's involving tearing down walls. We were just singing this song about tearing down walls. We were praying, prophesying before service about tearing down walls. And I'll tell you what's happening in their house and they're a forerunner. I'm prophesying right now for these guys. They're a forerunner of many things that belong in this house. And one thing for sure is they have this grace for hospitality and building up the body of Christ. We have a teacher in hospitality all blended together. Somebody who knows how to make disciples, a couple who, uh, how many of you have benefited from the ministry of the Chandlers over the years? Put them up high. Look around for a second. I just want you to see and rejoice in something here because the floods came and I know it's been annoying and it's been discouraging at times and I know I've prayed with you, we've cried with you and prayed for you but now God is doing something new and your forerunners are what God's doing in the house. He's taken walls out that never belonged there in the first place. And here's what can happen in a body. We can get into our silos because of the, the things that have happened 
and, and we can just kind of take care of our own family and we just kind of get ingrown and we start to think, well, I gotta look out for me and for my family and, and that's about all I got time for. I wanna to come to you today and urge you to begin to think also that there's a house to be built, a house that'll be a dwelling place of God and the Spirit and it's not an either or proposition. Am I gonna build my house or am I gonna build the Lord's house? It's not either or, it's both and more. And what God's doing with the Chandlers is opening up room. Now they're gonna be able to take their life group from 30 to 60. And there'll be food galore for everybody. And there'll be a sweet presence of God in that place now, not behind walls. But I remember meeting at their house, you know, with the life group leaders and whatnot. And when the room fills up, then you're kind of leaning around a wall to see who's in the living room because everybody doesn't fit. Now everybody's gonna fit. I'm telling you, God's doing the same thing right here with us. That is what God is doing in this house. Removing the barriers, removing things that prevented members of the body from seeing each other. We're not gonna be a church built on me. God help us. Oh, God really help us. We're not gonna be a church built on the church staff. We're not gonna be a church built on programs. I, I shared a whole series years ago about how you are the program. If you're looking for a program, you the program. How do you know what your gift is? Just a real quick summary. I know some of you, this is like mowing over. The, you know how when you mow your lawn, sometimes you gotta, well, when you do it, so that you don't leave mohawks, you put one wheel over a little bit where you're already mowed to make sure you don't leave a mohawk, because that's so annoying. Young men and women, when you mow the grass, mow with one wheel over, don't leave your dad looking at mohawks. <laughs> All right? So I'm gonna do that for a minute here and mow some familiar grass, that we are the program of the church if there's a need in the house that you see and it irritates you that that need's not being met, guess what? God pointed that out to you for a really good reason. Because maybe you're the answer to the prayer that you've been and saying, God, would you improve this ministry? Would you fill this gap over here? It seems like that doesn't happen. Look, I am well aware of many things that are in need of building up in the house. And what I'm looking at right now is the building material for all of it. I intend to aim to be a wise master builder. Jesus is building the church, but he uses people. We have others here who are supposed to be builders in that house. And here's what, when I say using your best gifts, let me use this as an illustration. If you're building a stone foundation, let's go with old school stone, like we used to do it back in the day. There needs to be a master mason overseeing that project, because when the stones aren't, you know, blocks these days, they're all the same size, so you could just and build them up like Legos. I know it's more complicated than Legos. Don't, don't go after me, but you know what I mean. But when you got field stone, they're different sizes to keep it level, to keep it level all around. You need somebody who can see it and know how those stones are gonna fit together, but then you need people who could put the stones in the wall and know how to lay it right without, you know, not enough gap or too much gap in between the stones and how to build one level, you know, so where you gotta level every once in a while. And it's so, there's so much involved in it. But how many of you know that if the guy who can see the whole thing, the master builder, the, one, the master mason, isn't looking at the big picture, but instead says, you know what, I'm tired of leading. I'm tired of people not doing what I'm telling them to do. I'm tired of people doing it wrong. So I'm just pick up stones and do it myself. You know what happens, right? It looks like when our Liberian friends try to make a foundation. <laughs> and, and, and we went over one time and they had, I don't know, like eight, 10 layers of block done. And we brought a master mason with us. He got one look at it and he said, it is about 14 inches, right? 14 different from this corner to that corner. Oh, that's not gonna work. I don't know how to build with block, but I know enough to know that's not good. And so the master 
Mason has to take leadership and administration. Uh, This is a direct word to us at the house. There are some of us here that have a gift of administration. You are capable of bringing people together to do a certain part of the ministry of the house. And I know that there's been some frustration. I may as well just go for it. I'm already stepped in it knee deep. I'm gonna go all the way in. There's been some frustration with leaders in the house at things like not replying to text messages. Hey, would you please confirm that you're gonna be here as you committed to be so that I know I can count on you. There've been you know, times where we, we get together to do something and people don't show up that said they were gonna be there. Some you know, times it happens in like children's ministry or other ministries where we're counting on, you're on the schedule and then you're not there and now the leader has to go figure out what to do about that. Uh, first of all, I wanna urge all of you, be as diligent in your volunteer service to the Lord as you would be if you were getting paid for for it. Otherwise, what you're showing is that you're motivated by money. I used to say that to people in the children's ministry. They, they would just kind of blow it off and not be there. And I mean, it was a big ministry of Christ's community. So I'd find out 15 minutes in, oh, there's nobody with the kindergarten class right now. Don't, what? I'm gonna just let them out in the sanctuary. I'll get help then. <laughs> and, and I would exhort people that if you would not, if you're not there, what would happen if you went to your job and you didn't show up for an hour into the workday and didn't say anything apologetic? Like you didn't go and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I know, I, you know we started eight o'clock and, and I didn't show up till nine. Would you please forgive me? Here's what happened. How many, how many of you would have a job the next day? So when it comes to offering our service to the Lord, I urge you to make it easy for your leaders And look, things happen, right? Life happens, life comes at you fast, things happen, but if you've committed to something, follow through on that commitment because here's what happens. People with the gift of administration, we have many in this house that are very capable administration. Now, because they love that ministry, they're gonna pick up all the balls that got dropped and they get worn out and now now we have leaders that are getting burnt out. May it not be so at Hillside. All right, I'm off that exhortation now. But I wanna get back to saying, if you have the gift of administration, we are in need of you to step up in the house. That's offering your best gifts to the body of Christ. If you come to church and you got like a word stirring, and like every week you got this thing, it's bubbling up inside of you, and then somewhere and somebody gets up and prophesies, shares a testimony, or the preacher says something in the message, and you say in your heart, that's exactly what I had. That's exactly what I thought. Well, guess what? As Brian, so where'd Brian go? Brian, he's, okay, Brian. <laughs> Brian got up and exhorted, there he is. It's by the word of your testimony. Having something in the heart's great, but that, that encourages you. Opening up your mouth and saying it to the body, now you're encouraging people in their building. All right, so David, after everything got settled, he was king, conflict was over, David made this, uh, this, this, he had this thought come up in his heart in chapter seven of 2 Samuel. Now it came about when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest on every side from his enemies that the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. Now Nathan didn't come to him, God didn't come to him and say, hey, what is this all about? You got this really nice cedar house over here. You got cooks, you got maids, you got all the servants you need. And there's God over here in a tent with curtains around it. So David, because he was a man who had God's heart, 
He said, it's not right for me to live in luxury when God's not having the best. I kept the best for myself, David said in his heart, and I took all the treasure and all the spoils of victory, and now I'm living in this kind of comfort, and I've kind of given Jesus, God, the leftovers over here. And he's in this simple tent made of curtains. That was his heart. That's where David began with this thing. So when David got this heart, he represents exactly what it is when we come before God and we say, thank you for blessing me. Thank you for overwhelming me with your goodness. I've got life and that more abundantly. I've got more wealth than I know what to do with. I've got a nice house. I've got a nice life. I've got a nice family. I've got everything my heart could desire. Praise God. And now I'm just gonna pour it into my family. I'm gonna pour it into the, the generations to come. But there's another thing that I hope today I'm gonna start nagging at you with. And I'm gonna join in the spirit of the prophets. Remember Todd shared about how the temple needed to be rebuilt in the days of Zerubbabel, the, the first captives who came back. Ezra was with them as a priest. And, and I just wanna point something out. It was 80 years from when they got there until Nehemiah. The first thing that needed to be rebuilt when the nation was devastated was not the walls of the city. It was not the businesses of the city. It was the temple. The first thing that they got to was they built an altar to God and began to offer sacrifice again. How many of you want to see our nation restored? How many of you want to live in the nation that we all learned about, dreamed of, maybe even experienced some of? Well, the first thing that's got to be rebuilt isn't in Washington, D.C., and it's not in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It's not in the town hall here in town. It is the church. It is the altar of God, the temple of God, the place where God will cause his name to dwell. That's the first thing that needs to be rebuilt. If the church is not strong, the nation will never be strong. If there's not sacrifice being offered up to God, if there is not a place and a people who say, your presence is more important than anything else I've got in life, there is nothing more important than seeing the kingdom of God come. We pray the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. We read the message from Jesus, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But I'm telling you, there's such a spirit. And I hope this doesn't, is this coming across like condemnation at all? I want conviction, not condemnation. Am I nailing it with that? Okay, good, I'll keep on then. Because seeking first the kingdom means we don't first seek adding all these things unto us. And as Americans, we are so drawn to that spirit that wants to add all these things unto us. You know, it's easier to be poor some, in some ways. It's easier to be impoverished than it is to manage wealth. So far in history, the church has not done well when we have wealth. Do we believe that God wants to keep us poor so that we live spiritually? Oh, I was hoping for a more emphatic no. I have to lay a better foundation in that. No, God wants his people wealthy, healthy, wealthy, and wise. He wants all of that. He wants us to be the richest people on the planet. He wants to showcase his glory through a people that prosper. But he doesn't want that at the expense of having a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Nobody can serve two masters. Jesus nailed it. You can't, have, you can't serve that one. You can serve the king of kings and seek first his kingdom and then your money will be serving you instead of the other way around. So David sat in his house. He saw the ark in the tent. He said, this isn't right. Nathan, I want to build a house for God. So Nathan initially responds with, yeah, go ahead. Do whatever's in your heart to do. I'll come back to Nathan. He didn't get a good night's sleep that night. 
But here's what, later the house that David built was destroyed. David had in his heart to build a temple for God. That was a good desire, wasn't it? You know, if you read the history of that temple, they had one good decade. One good decade in that temple when Solomon first built it. The first day, the presence of God was so strong, the priest couldn't even stand to minister anymore. And then Solomon himself, the guy who built it with the money David saved up for him, began to put one idol after another in that temple. And by Solomon's death, there were idols all over the temple of God. It was a beautiful building, so beautiful. The queen of Sheba came, she looked at it, she had wealth. The queen for this from Ethiopia, somewhere down in Africa, she came up, looked at it, and she lost her breath. It was such a magnificent building. They put all their efforts into it, but they forgot the, the whole reason for that temple being there. There is a presence of God in the middle of that. There is something that is absolutely vital. We built this temple, not so we could say, look what a great glorious thing we built, but so we could honor the presence of God who's been with us through thick and thin, who's always made us wise and always made us great and glorious. That was the purpose of that temple. The amazing thing is God finally had enough. It took a few generations or a few revivals, Hezekiah, Josiah, and so on, a few revivals, and God said, you know what? I'm gonna tear that thing to the ground. I can't handle the people going to that big, beautiful building and offering up sacrifices to me and then going worshiping their favorite idol when they go back home again. I can't stand it. I can't stand that duplicity. I can't handle people serving other gods and then coming into this temple. So you know what? I'd rather not have it at all. And he raised it to the ground. What's amazing is Amos the prophet, Amos 9-11. Remember on 9-11 when it happened, we said God is gonna have his 9-11. And he's gonna rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David. The simplicity of coming before the presence of God, enjoying his presence, ministering to him as priests, every one of us, and then going back and doing life on the outside. I'll, I'll testify and I'll, I'll share this, that I have been guilty of overemphasizing our ministry out there. You know, go and be the church. The church has left the building. That that, that is, and I, I don't, I say overemphasizing, not to minimize that we gotta do it out there. That it's not just all about this, but we also need to build the dwelling place of God. We also need to be the people who are building a place where God can dwell in the midst of his people. That's what a temple is. So God said, I'm gonna rebuild it, but I'm not gonna rebuild that temple. In my, in my last days, when my son finally comes, I'm gonna rebuild David's tabernacle. Everybody's gonna have access to my presence. Everybody's gonna be then responsible to take what they got from my presence and go do something with it, which includes building the house. So they came back, the exiles came back, and they started the project of rebuilding the temple after it had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. They started the project and then Haggai had to come 16 years after they laid the foundation, they hadn't finished the project yet. And Haggai came with this word. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. So the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? While this house lies desolate. David said, I've got a beautiful house and God's living in a tent. These people said, I want a beautiful house. The house of the Lord can wait. 
I'm taking all the blessing that God gave me and I'm gonna build my house and I'm gonna build my treasure and my inheritance for my family. And the house of the Lord, that'll just have to kind of figure things out. And Haggai said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. If the house of the Lord is not built, how long do you think your blessing's gonna last? How long do you think your economy is gonna stay stable? Listen to this. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Consider your ways, verse six. You have sown much, but you eat. You harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on, not that you should. I just forgot to say that. You, you put on clothing, but no one's warm enough, and he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. So consider your ways. Does that sound like a recession to you? That's exactly what happens. Your dollar's not worth, you know, your 401k became a 201k, right? That's a retirement plan for you young people that haven't invested yet. Right, all of a sudden money's just disappearing. I looked at mine, I was horrified a few months ago. I got my report, I looked at, we have a few funds, I looked at the first one, I said, I don't wanna see that. I'll, I'll, I'll pray God recovers that. All of a sudden, it's like the dollar's not worth what it used to be. It's exactly what they were experiencing. What was the problem? It wasn't that they weren't working just as hard. It wasn't that the resources weren't there. They weren't in the middle of a famine. It wasn't some natural phenomena. It was that they weren't seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so all these things that had been added unto them were little by little getting sifted away. The enemy was coming, stealing, killing, and destroying. Why? Because they had no house of the Lord. The presence of God, as I shared with you, if you skipped it, I'd encourage you to go back and listen. The presence of God in a place like David's tabernacle is like penicillin in that Petri dish. His presence, we, we think, sometimes I think we, we misunderstand and think that just a handful of intercessors and a few wingnut prophets and worship people will just kind of worship God on our behalf and, and that'll be enough. God's looking for a people who are completely given over to building such a place where we say, what will it take for us to host you? So you don't just visit us once in a while, Lord, so that you dwell in the midst. It's when he's in the midst, like David experienced, you got rest from our enemies. The enemies don't come steal, kill, and destroy. They don't come and rob. They don't come and win victories in battles. Not when the house of the Lord has been built. So he said, go up to the mountains. I want you to go up to the mountains, and I want you to bring wood and rebuild the temple so that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. I want you to, to just experience me that way. So I just got a question to ask you, whose house are you building? This is a personal question for you to answer with the Lord. If you think there's a dichotomy that I've gotta build my house or I've gotta devote myself to building the church, and yeah, I'm gonna speak specifically now about Hillside because this is who we are. We're family here. You know, we've taken some offerings recently to build each other up and help each other out with, with things like that. But I want to urge you, if you found yourself getting into a, like a little huddle with just you and your family and maybe your close friends because, you know, COVID, some, some have not come out from that. It, it was like we got trained for about a year on how to just huddle up with the people closest to us that we love. And now we're in need of a, well, a little, um, a little bit of encouragement. Remember I showed you that archbishop encouraging his troops with a spear in his hand? That's, that's me today to you. It's time to get up. It's time to say I'm not just gonna huddle up with my family. It's time to say we are not just gonna build our house. We're also gonna build the house of the Lord. And we're not gonna leave it for a handful of people. You know, the worst thing that happens in a church, it's one of the signs of a church that's in deterioration is when you got that 80-20 thing going on. 
20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Somebody said the church is like a, a football game. 22 people on the field in desperate need of rest being watched by 60,000 people in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> That's never going to be Hillside. We are not that church. You're not that people. I'm not that pastor. We are not that church. That's not what we're about. Every single one of you is essential to this building project that God's doing. There's not a one in here who's like the appendix of the body of Christ. Which, by the way, we're starting to discover some purposes for us. There's not even in the natural any such thing as what we call an appendix. Everyone's essential for this ministry. I shared with the members, the new members last week in our meeting, that God sent you here for a reason. When I was a new pastor here and I wanted to get to know the heart of Hillside, I didn't come with a predetermined vision. I came here with a heart of love and I wanted to get to know this house. And I told the elders at that time, I'm not gonna come and start preaching vision. I'll preach Christ, I'll preach presence, I'll preach healing, I'll preach you know, whatever it takes to draw the people back together. But I'm gonna be watching and observing and listening very carefully to know what kind of church this is supposed to be. Because you know, there's a lot of different kinds of churches. Not every church that doesn't do church the way we do is wrong. There, there needs to be, I think David's church has a purpose. The Assembly of God has a purpose. The Wesleyan church has a purpose. Even the Methodist churches have, I said even the Methodist churches, that was rude. <laughs> right now they're not preaching the gospel from the pulpit, but we'll get that fixed. Someday God will, God will bring that one back around. Every church has a reason for existing. Otherwise, why don't we just all gather together in the biggest building we got in town? All of us gathered together have a purpose and I wanted to know what's the, and God gave me this picture that I never thought of before. And I was in that passage in 1 Corinthians. I want to be a wise master builder, Lord, so show me what to do. And he said, well, look around and see what kind of building materials I've given you. You know, if you're a builder, I was sharing this with a group the other day, uh, like Joel's a builder here. There's a few builders in the house. If you drove up on a job site and you saw what kind of materials had just been delivered out in the yard, would you know what to do with those? And you would know what kind of building it is, right? You know, oh, there's a pile of block over there. I guess that we're doing a block foundation. Oh, there's, there's uh, steel for the frame over there. Okay, we're doing that. Oh, we got a vinyl siding. We got, you know, this kind of roof. You can see what kind of building is going to be built by the building materials that were delivered to the site. That's how churches get built. What has God given us? What are the, and, and God has given us all of us. So I want to urge you, when times are tough, the temptation is to move toward isolation, and then we procrastinate on the grander call of God, the bigger call on our lives. It, yeah, it is to tend to our families and to raise up generations from our own womb, but it's also to build a house where God's going to live for generations to come. We don't have to choose between building our house or God's house, rather than we should seek, uh, seek his face on how to build both. I'm going to wrap this one up here. I want to come back to David next week on it, but I feel like I've exhorted and that's really what the Lord's heart was for today. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. Just, uh, just between you and Jesus. Are you giving the best gifts that you have to offer for the building up of the body of Christ to the body of Christ? If you have gifts of administration, but you've only been serving I wanna urge you to reconsider, consider your ways. Consider right now whether it's not time to say, I will take leadership. I will take the gift that God's given me because if nobody else does it, 
what, what, either what we're saying is, well, we have a staff. Look, this is a, this is a trap of a megachurch, and we are not a megachurch, where people all become dependent on the paid pastoral staff. When I was at Christ Community Church, there were 13 pastors on staff, and the temptation for that was too much. I mean, there were 2,000 people. We needed that many to care for the flock, but the thought was when people would come, and there were maybe a third of the house on any given Sunday were there just to feed and receive from that, but not to participate. And the problem with that is, uh, oh my goodness, I just got that Amy Grant song in my head. There's like three of you who remember Amy Grant. She was before my time in Christ, but there was a song about a fat little baby. You remember that? You remember that song? It was just about how if we're in the body of Christ and all we do is get fed, we're like a baby sitting in a high chair. Well, look, when you're 30 years old, that's very uncomfortable. I hope, I hope to make you uncomfortable with that. It's time to build the house of the Lord. It's time to ask the Lord. Some, there's some leaders among us right now. I know about your discouragement. I know that things have come to pass. I know that there's been pain. There's been heartache. There's been loss even. There have been some things. Look, the people in Haggai's day, they were surrounded by enemies. They were in a poor economy. Everything was bad around them. They had you know, mud huts to live in, uh, and, and so they built these paneled houses. They had it rough in their time. Do you really, do you believe that drawing upon the grace of God, we could do all things through Christ who strengthens us? I'll preach that one next week if you don't believe that. Yeah, we can. There's not a choice between either or. If we want to be the church God called us to be, it's going to take every single one of us prioritizing and asking the Lord. Yes, we take care of our families first. First, we take care of our own presence of God life. And if you don't have a life with Christ on your own, if the only time you open up your Bible is when you come here, or you don't even do that because you look at it on the screen because I make it easy for you like that, then I urge you, get in the Word. If the only time you pray is when we say, okay, let's stand to our feet and pray, or we come here before service and that's the only time you pray, I urge you, find a prayer life ASAP. Like find a prayer life last week because individual living stones Ephesians 2 says we are being built up together a dwelling place of God in the spirit but only if all the stones are alive. There's no dead stones in the body of Christ. There's nobody who's just here to occupy space. We need the best gifts that the Lord sent you with in order to do this thing. Otherwise we will get weary in well-doing. The leaders and those that say I will do what the Lord said to do will get worn out. We're all in this together and I urge you, offer those gifts. Ask the Lord that. What, what should I be putting my hands to to help build up the body of Christ? And if you're serving in a ministry and you haven't been as faithful maybe as you could be, then I urge you to treat it like a paid job. Treat your ministry in the house as if you were getting paid to do it and as if everything depended on you. I think when it comes to kingdom things, we should all have a mindset that says, I wanna work as though it all depends on me but I want to believe and have faith like it all depends on Jesus. We could do that. that. That's how we do this balance thing. But to put your whole heart into the work, and you watch what God will do. We are, called, we are supposed to have the best youth ministry, uh, people coming from out of town, people coming and experiencing revival, coming and experiencing renewal within our youth ministry. And we're building toward that, but maybe some of you are supposed to be part of that building project. Sometimes leaders have felt like the little red hen. You know that story? 
I'm trying to remember it now. <laughs> now that I brought it up. It's about, you know, the, the hens going around and looking for somebody to help grind the grain, pick the grain, and, and nobody wants to help pick the grain, and then she wants to help grind the grain, nobody wants to grind the grain, then she wants help making the flour, nobody wants to help make the flour, then she wants help making the bread, you know, putting the bread stuff together, how you make bread, and nobody wants to help, and then somebody bake the bread, and nobody wants to help bake the bread. Then she finishes baking the bread, and everybody wants to help eat it. Is that basically how it goes, right? Right, so that's not us. That's not us. Hillside, that is not us. Can you agree with me about that? That is not, I would say, I will not be that guy. I will not be everybody else and wait till the little red hen does something next. And no little red hen here. <laughs> that was the goofiest way to end a message I think I've ever done in my life. So can we stand for a moment and just agree together with something, okay? This, look, you know me by now. If you don't know me by now, you'll never, ever know me. Sorry. Sorry, I know. <laughs> I'm not going to come get in your face about it. Not like that. I'm not going to come to your house. I'm not going to, you know, go chase you down and say, come on now, you should be doing this. I'm not going to do that. I have done my part. I have preached the word of God to you. I came today with a boldness enough to risk losing friends because some of you might be offended at some things I said today and think I'm preaching to you. I am not. not a, I didn't have a single person in mind when I said anything I said today. This is group dynamics. This is something that God is saying to us as a body. Now, if the shoe fits, by all means, put it on. If I stepped on your toes, just know I didn't do it on purpose. I just tripped over them because you stuck them out in front of me now. <laughs> but I'm urging you to ask the Lord, What's, what am I supposed to do to build that house? There's some among you that are supposed to be raised up to be elders in this place. So that means right now you need to be shepherding the flock and making disciples and building people up so that the evidence of your call will be the fruit of your life and that people all around you get built up when they're in your presence. Some of you are called to prophesy and be prophets. Some of you are called to teach. Some of you are called to, to minister in evangelism. How will we know? Because you're gonna get busy doing the Father's work and the fruits will be evident to everybody. When we lay hands on somebody new in this house, everybody ought to say, oh, of course. Why did we wait so long? That's what we're looking for. We're looking for everyone in this house. We all start out in Christ as little children. 1989, I was a little child in Christ. I, I came to the altar. I gave my life to the Lord. Never looked back a day since. But I was a little baby who every year realized I thought I knew so much and now I realize I don't know anything. And I was, as a newborn babe, drinking the milk of the word, listening to cassette tapes, yep, cassette tapes, and my Walkman, mm -hmm. 24-7, consuming the word of God, because I wanted to grow, and I knew that there was something drawing me of leadership, and I knew I got to prepare for that, and I have no idea what that's going to look like or how, but I began to just consume because I wanted to be used by God. I was so grateful for the way he saved me, so grateful that he could take somebody like me and say, you're going to be a leader one day? Are you kidding? Do you remember who I am? I'll never forget that season of my life as long as I live. But I started preparing for it. I urge you, prepare for it, and then offer yourself a living sacrifice. Ask the Lord, what's my part in this thing, and how do I get signed up? If you don't know what leader to go to, Todd can help you, Stephanie can help you, I can help you, there's, there's plenty of opportunity. Begin to serve and let the fruit of what you're called to do be evident. Yeah, I think that's good enough. So let's pray. Father, we, we avail ourselves to the wise master builder himself, Jesus Christ. 
And I ask you for a spirit of conviction to go way deeper than the words of this preacher's mouth could ever go and awaken every one of us to our destiny. Not just our call out there, but our call to build up the body of Christ. You know, I'm gonna gonna stop and exhort for a second. You know you shouldn't exhort pray, right? That's manipulative, so I'm gonna stop and exhort. I wanna ask you to consider the church of Jesus Christ is built up of people, right? We're living stones, we're not a building. We meet in a building, but the church is made up of living stones. So who is somebody that you have interaction with or you know you should have interaction with that you haven't had interaction with yet? Ultimately, every call to every kind of ministry is gonna involve people. And so who are you supposed to be reaching out to? Who are you supposed to be touching? Who should be invited over your house? Who should you be taking out for coffee? Who should you be ministering to so that you go from being a newborn babe to becoming a father and a mother in this house? That's our vision for everybody. We have a group that we call our fathers and mothers. Everybody in this house belongs in that group. But there's gotta be a fruit and an evidence of that ministry. So who are you gonna pour into? Who are you gonna be taking? I've given you this picture before. Sorry, I made you stand like I was wrapping up. And now I'm not wrapping up. I'm going to wrap up with this. Begin wrapping up with this. Your life is like this tissue box. Some of you have seen this before. We're all a tissue in the body of Christ. All right? Just hang with me for a minute on this metaphor. This tissue has a destiny and a purpose. It's been crafted to accomplish that purpose. It's going to wipe up some tears, maybe some snot, maybe some spill or something like that. But it's in the queue. It's waiting in this box, waiting for its opportunity to fulfill its life destiny. But watch what it does when it comes out into its purpose. Oh, man. It's the wrong kind of tissue box. Wait. Rewind the tape and I'll do that again. Watch what this one. See, this one is what you don't want to be. It fulfilled its purpose, and there's nobody coming behind. But this one heard the word that was preached today, and it said, I'm going to fulfill my destiny. Come on, work. But I'm going to pull somebody else up behind me while I fulfill mine. And that person's going to learn to do the same. He's going to pull someone else up behind him or her, and they're going to fulfill their destiny. Do you know that's why we're here 2,000 years after Christ? because this has been going on for 2,000 years. So who are you gonna pull up behind you? Who are you gonna finally say, you know, enough of this, waiting for somebody to feed me, build me up, preach to me, you know, do, do, meet my needs. There's seasons all of us need that, but then there's gotta come a time where we say, okay, I'm gonna pull somebody else up too. He pulled me out of miry clay, who can I pull up out of miry clay, Jesus? You gotta ask the Lord that. So Lord, I pray you put faces and minds and hearts on all of us, that we would not be a people that have walls built between us and isolation. I pray, I say in Jesus' name, that spirit of isolation that started really three and a half years ago, I break you in the name of Jesus. We will not be a people each to his own house. We will not be a people each to our own ministry, each to our own gifts, each to our own call, but we together will be built up a dwelling place of God in the spirit. I pray that you would break free everyone who's stuck. I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand up if you've had circumstances that have succeeded in some measure of keeping you down. Like really just put them up high. Keep, keep your hands up really high until you feel hands laid on you. Church, you know what to do. You see somebody with their hands up, get around them. Make sure they are thoroughly surrounded. And uh, keep your hands up until you feel like you have no body parts not being covered right now in prayer. 
We're gonna pray for you because we, we need everybody unstuck. If one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. We all suffer. Maybe we don't feel the pain like they do, but we're missing their ministry if they're suffering right now. So everybody got, nobody has no hands on you, right? Okay, start praying for them like you'd want somebody to pray for you if you felt stuck. Go ahead, let it out. Use your mouth, pray. Pray out loud. Remember, thoughts of the heart are not prayers. When you pray, say so pour it out on them. Bless them. Speak life over them. Encourage them in the Lord. Go ahead. Just pray. If, you're not, if you don't have hands on somebody, just kind of turn, face somebody, and just begin to pray for them. Just anywhere in the room. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. None of you people stuck in Jesus' name. Nobody trapped in miry clay in Jesus' name. You will not sink in the quicksand. You will come out, and you will walk and leap and praise your God. You will not be under the spirit any longer. Circumstances can come. Circumstances will go even if they don't change. You are not under any spirit anymore. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. The name of the Lord, the name of Jesus Christ is a strong tower to you right now. You run into it and you're safe, meaning exceedingly high above the conflict. Your heart will not grow weary in well-doing. You receive strength right now from on high. You will receive strength in your weak knees. You'll receive strength to lift up your hands and rejoice before for the Lord, you'll receive the strength to do the thing that God called you to do and you'll be held back no longer in Jesus' name. You're gonna rejoice in the Lord. Oh man, weeping has endured for the night. I don't know who, this, who needs to hear this. You've wept through the night, but the time of weeping's over. You've wept well, the Lord has heard your cry, and now it's time for rejoicing to come in the morning. It's time for you to get out from under that spirit of grief. Grieving has a purpose, but it has a season to it too. And uh, whoever I'm talking to, it's time for you to come out from under that thing and don't let yourself get settled in that place. Don't get comfortable in the place of just receiving the loving comfort of the Lord, but receive his comfort now to get out to that place where you belong and start pouring out from yourself. I don't know if it's somebody here or somebody who's watching, but I think you need to understand something. This is more of a teaching that the way to experience the grace of God is not to just stay like a bowl and wait for it. We have on the inside of us, it said, out of your bellies will, bellies will flow rivers of living water. A river receives, but the only way it's a river and not a lake is that it pours back out on the other side. You've got to start pouring out. If you want to receive that thing you've been praying for, some of you need to start pouring it out into somebody. Even if you don't feel like you've received yet, you've got to start pouring out on the other side and watch what happens when that river flows. You know, when a, right after the rain, river's all dirty and it looks like, dark chocolate and then just a bunch more water comes all of a sudden it's clean again let that flow begin to minister begin to pour out stop waiting again for somebody to pour into you start pouring out what the lord's given to you and watch how that grace comes and all of a sudden you're healed and restored and you don't even remember the last time you prayed for yourself because you've been so busy praying for other people amen praise god hallelujah all right you can keep ministering to each other for as long as you feel like you need to, don't, don't stop just because I've stopped up here. But God bless you guys. Have an awesome week in Jesus. And, uh, and hey, I'll see you again soon. Love you.